0: Hello, and welcome to Genius at Scale. Today's guest is Andy Pudalov
1: from Rush Bowls. Andy, tell us a little bit about yourself. Hello, again, my name is Andrew Podolov and I am the founder and CEO of Rush Bowls. There you go. I, start, I started the company in 2004, and uh, that was 18 years ago, and we were doing bowls back then. So we are one of the pioneers within the bowl industry so yeah 2004 kind of nobody was doing that is that is that accurate yeah no one was doing it. you know I don't know of anyone that was really doing it and it really came about from uh, opening a store and I I I actually tasted a bowl uh, once in my life prior or something concept like that and texture was really important to me I also wanted to focus on a meal-based product line. I didn't want to be a drink. I didn't want to be a snack. I wanted to be meal-based. So I really started with that texture-driven and meal-driven concept. When you say texture-driven, what do you, what's good texture?
0: What's bad texture? What what do you like, or what didn't you like in those in that in that uh, class?
1: And maybe a better way for me to say is diverse texture. So I like the creaminess or smoothness of a smoothie, but I really like the crunch of granola and honey and fresh fruit, right? So So you didn't want it like pudding. Right, like a thick pudding, but I kind of like that there was a crunch to it, the sweetness of the honey and the different texture of the bananas or whatever fruit topping you had. So there's very... Mouthfeel meant a lot to me, and there was a lot of different mouthfeels and it was much more filling.
0: And how long did it take you to kind of get that, perfect that? I, I imagine that's a never-ending pursuit. But how did you how did you get that from uh, the Wild West in two thousand four to to where
1: you were satisfied with it? You know, and that's a good point. You never satisfies per se, but you know, it's certainly we started when we opened the store in 2004, that was a big part of our menu um, to see how it went. It was a big risk actually at the time. And we felt that, and I felt that it was novel. What really took a lot of time was the education, then the flavor sets, and then we expand from there. Uh, okay. So it was all driven by consumer flavors, uh, what we came up with, what sold uh, more than our actual opinion, right? So I was mentioned the story that there we had one bowl and i didn't like it at all right quite frankly flavor wise but people liked it so ultimately it was a, a very early lesson it's not what you want it's what they want and yeah. it's something i learned early on um that you know it's always what the customers customer wants and they show you what they want you know? yeah. and you talk to them and you, you certainly have an open dialogue especially on a new business or new concept all right so um
0: I'm curious, I know a little bit about your history and you didn't come to this from growing up in the restaurant or the franchising business. Tell us a little about your pivot because you you did a very interesting pivot. Your background is super diverse. Tell us a little bit about that, if you would.
1: Yeah, sure. I I was you know, certainly all finance related. I worked in banking. I worked at Bear Stearns when they existed, Morgan Stanley, Credit Lene, and National Australia Bank. Uh, through 15 years, I was global head of fixed income derivative trading at National Australia Bank, but basically was in fixed income derivative trading throughout my career. 9-11 was a big trigger in terms of I didn't want to live in New York City anymore. Uh, I lost a lot of friends that day. And really, for say, I was successful in what I, what I was doing, but I wanted to do something that I had no knowledge about, build it from the ground up and i was fortuitous in being able to do that um but i i do feel that it gave me an advantage when i looked at the restaurant industry industry because i didn't have the norms in my head i didn't have oh you, you had no preconceived this. notions right exactly so creating a new product i think was simpler um than it would be today for me quite frankly um because you're so ingrained in hey, everyone's doing this this and this becoming totally blind to what can and can't be done uh, was was kind of special so it's it's interesting um
0: I use this a lot with clients we, we call it the wisdom of ignorance you're, you're not wise enough or steeped enough in an industry to be that afraid of it so you just do the homework was it, yeah. was it like that
1: yeah I think it was certainly like that I I think I was I was just tinkering a lot of tinkering um, opposed to just research I would say research is very important if I go back in time I, I wish I would have done more research quite frankly because you know you always want a great education if you if you can figure it out right um, and education can take many forms you know I was working the store all the time in the beginning uh, to a crazy extent really talking to the consumers and really saying hey and I think there's Really, nothing better in terms of education when you're building a business to get deeply involved and see what they're seeing. Because what they tell you directly may be very different than what they're doing. You know, eye-to-eye contact sometimes defers the truth, <laughs> opposed to coming in every day ordering something the same or, right. or very and one thing I educated myself to, which was different than my than my own personal behavior, is that. People want consistency all the time. They come in at the exact same time ordering the exact same thing. People don't really want change. It's up to you. Once you have a relationship established, it's up to you to keep that relationship uh, with the consumer. Hmm. So we better be doing our job and continue to be doing our job because everyone wants at 11 a.m. to have their beach ball or whatever it may be. Or it's six a.m. or seven, where, wherever, nine o'clock at night, whatever it may be. People are very consistent in their behavior. When on, on a personal level, I'm more sporadic. Oh, I'll try this. I've never had this before. So, okay. so how long did you stay with just
0: the original store as your as your laboratory before you said, okay, now we're now we, we kind of have a handle on this. It's time to expand.
1: So I, I did do a pretty big pivot in 2010. So six years later. I started a wholesale company. So we then were became a different manufacturing process, had co-packer, and we were in 40 states with Whole Foods up till 2016. Uh, so we launched a frozen form of uh, a rush bowl basically, which was a great education. Our co-packer ended up closing overnight and kind of put that business aside. And then I rotated right into franchising of which um, we opened a store right then, 2016, in Denver, their second corporate store. And that really gave uh, gave a lot of life to franchising. We proved the concept in a different venue. And, and then we started franchising really in 2016. And the first store was originally in Boulder. It's still there. It's on the Hill in, okay, in so Boulder, Colorado. So Boulder, but Denver and Boulder are different. Yeah, very different. They're very different. different yeah. Have changed very much so over over these years too. Yeah. Um, but we then looked at growing the franchise business um, very differently. I looked at it as a national approach, which is much more costly, much more difficult. But I understood national distribution from Whole Foods, basically experience. So right. we have stores in Portland, or in uh, Portland to West Palm. So we're in twenty one states currently and we should be in 23 states you know by the end of this year at least so um talk to me then how do
0: you measure or track scaling is it through the number of sc- stores or the number of franchises or uh, how do you how do you count if you will scaling
1: certainly growth? you know and, and it's a great question because there's a lot of ways to go about it for yeah, us everybody has their own their own right method. right so for us for our perspective, it's A, you know, how the stores are doing, right? So, right, and where the areas of the stores are and and certainly, um, you know, what are those sales looking like, right? So you obviously can't scale if you're not successful. So A, is this working? Is this working in this state? And what does that look like? And then B, can we grow in that state? C, is there, you know, what are the sales looking, not just on a per sale per store level, but also on a, you know, national level, how we, how do we look and what does that growth rate look? What is that growth rate look like? So there's a lot of components to it uh, that we look at, but the numbers don't lie. The one thing I always say all the time, I care more about numbers than opinion. And, and, um, Opinion is certainly important, but the one thing I know is numbers don't lie, and we're very number-centric. So we look at that data and see, hey, this is working, and this is, you know, one of the big things for us is what's your what's your breakdown between men and women, and what's your biggest sales time during the day? Well, we knew we were a meal concept, but the data really supported that and said, hey, our biggest sales time is noon. To to one, and basically is our busiest hour on average. And then what's the breakdown between men and women? And we looked at, you know, how's that broken down? How's that, you know, where, you know, and that's a little more difficult one to get, but basically it's 55% women, 45% men. If anything, it's 50 50, right? And then how do you reach those consumers? So there's a million different measures. Um, Ultimately, the measures how successful you are is, you know, financial, obviously. At this stage, you know, it's more about each store's success uh, than the overall franchise success, you know, as we grow.
0: I'm curious, are there age demographics or do you not track that?
1: We we do um, to a degree because a lot is triggered off phones and other things, but generally that's widened immensely, right? It used to be tweens to, you know, late twenties. Now it's like three to 50, right? Families. They understand the bull concept much more readily. They understand the nutrition of it. They understand how what a great meal it is. So that that has expanded tremendously. Got it. Got it. And the last question
0: on the on the numbers part, are mm-hmm. there regional differences where you say, wow, in, in the south it, this is super popular, but in the west or the or the Midwest, that doesn't sell hardly at all. Do you get that or no?
1: Yeah, you know, it's funny. I just ran some of those, some of the data and we're kind of looking into a little bit more, which was really surprising to me. Uh, So, you know, everyone says, oh, it's mostly a cold product, yada, yada, yada. What does it look look like in different regions? And basically, if you break, and we break the US into four different regions, basically, as you would on a map, if you looked at it. And and some of that, basically, there was 10% differential between the regions. Like, there's not not much. Not much. And certainly it can be distorted with new openings or other ways, but really climate didn't factor into it as much as you would think, Hmm. which I knew that data because I think Chicago is one of the biggest cities for ice cream. Um, So it's not, these are meal driven focus for people and health focus. So it's, it's not just, Hey, and a lot of it is how these stores are run, right? Do you have a really strong franchisee running it? Are they absentee or, you know, so that there's a lot of uh, interstore distortion too, but overall I was blown away that there was not a significant differential.
0: Yeah. I I was raised in the Midwest and obviously I, and then I moved migrated to California at 18, but when we grew up, uh, potatoes were a vegetable. I mean that was just considered a vegetable, and you go, uh, be, maybe depending on where you live, because that was Midwest, and you could get potatoes all year, year round. But yeah, that's why I wonder. I thought, hmm, are there different uh, are there different markets that just say, yeah, we're we're, we're, we're this is not for us, or this is uh, this is totally for us. So
1: yeah, that's and that's- we're doing pretty interesting move in that direction too, because we hit a lot of markets that are ill served. Uh, for health food, and yep. certainly because we opened a store recently in Birmingham, Alabama, Metairie in Louisiana, yep. we're opening in Naples, Florida. So you have, you have uh, deep deep fried rush bowls in Metairie? <laughs> no,
0: we don't. But... They're breaded and de- breaded and deep fried, and there's and there's chicken <laughs> gravy on them. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but we do feel that there's a big opportunity in 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 these ill served communities with health food. Sure, And we're not preachy about our food. Like it's healthy. We don't use sorbets. We don't, a lot of these companies scoop different stuff into your bowl. We use actually fruit so or vegetables. So our stuff is way more nutritious right. um, and and tastes amazing, um, but we're not preachy about it. So, you know, if you want chocolate chips on it, Nutella, God bless, whatever you, whatever
0: you right. enjoy. Right. Oh, that's great. So I'm, I'm curious, um, you're on a scaling journey, and mm-hmm. which started really in 2004. I mean, it's it's been a uh, quite almost two decades. Um, <laughs> I'm curious
1: the biggest lesson learned and the tuition you had to pay to learn it. Yeah, I mean, there's been so many lessons in a lot of different ways. Um, the tuition is costly because you've made mistakes, right? So, <laughs> yeah, that's... Um, so- and but is money well paid? the the wholesale business was really interesting for me. It was a very dynamically different business. Um, that education was incredible how that works within the food industry with distribution and how do you get in, how do you get out? I think that was one of the most incredible educations I've ever had. Um, and the tuition was extremely costly in terms of investment wise. Um, and I think it's very costly for most companies in this, in that food industry, because 95% of your food basically is, you know, controlled by, you know, five companies. so just the education of labeling distribution where you're in the markets, who's buying it and why it was just probably the biggest education I ever had, but it really helped me in terms of within the franchising how to deal with distribution and the benefits of that. So um, I think that probably was my biggest education and tuition. Mm. It was exp- very expensive tuition I must
0: say. <laughs> yeah, I could imagine well it's it's uh, the reason I ask it's um, you hear podcasts or you hear interviews with people and it's it makes it sound like scaling is all you know like a like a straight business school project where it's just 30% year-on-year growth and all blue skies, and you think, I don't I don't think there's much learning there. And m- on every scaling journey, of course there's uh, miscues, mistakes, um, suppositions that didn't turn out, and those are more helpful for learning, I, I find, for, uh, for the audience than, oh yeah, it was just a piece of cake and you can do it too. Like, oh, it ain't that easy. <laughs> if no. it were,
1: everyone would go IPO. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and certainly, it's not been easy. It's it's actually, I talk about it. You know, it's it's a grind, and especially um, when you go to franchising, you're very dependent on how those stores are run, in an individual capacity by franchisees, and you want to make sure you pick the best of the best, right? And sometimes you luck out, and sometimes it's more difficult. Um, but they're representing your your Business model, and with their own little flair to it, you want to make sure you have good partners because they're you, they're your partners. They're your, you know, it's a marriage, no matter how you slice it. Right. And you want to make sure they're following the protocols, they're doing, making the product properly, training properly, properly keeping the hours. So that's that's a big part of it. But when you say ups and downs, it's been tremendous ups and downs. And I always go back to, um, kind of Madoff, right? How did Madoff get caught? he had very consistent returns that were statistically impossible year over year. Right. And no one ever, a lot of people look the other way, The but it is almost statistically impossible in finance to have those kind of static. Yeah, you get, returns. You got to have a down year every once in a while. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and I think that's true with building any business and anyone who tells you that's not the case. Well, they're inherently Lucky, or it's a unique business, but uh, it's not reality for ninety nine percent of businesses, right. in my humble opinion. No, that's great. That's great. And, and I'm curious: was there
0: a in this whole? Because obviously, you've had you've, you've had great success and great growth. Was mm-hmm. there a specific inflection point where things really changed?
1: I think COVID was a big inflection point. For, I would think that would
0: have been a negative for you.
1: Uh, I, it was positive in certain ways. It brought a lot of people together. Even though they were separate, it gave yep. the focus. Hey, this is what we're going to do, and it changed the communication style of the company a little bit. We over started over communicate, which I think was very, very important. What's working in your community? What's not? What can we do together to, um, you know, solve this challenge? You know, are we running things out? Are we, you know, wearing masks in this location? They're coming in. Do they have to use QR codes? So there are a lot of kind of interesting developments and it was uncharted territory for everyone. It's actually brought, I felt it brought everyone together to a certain extent too. So um, I think that was a big inflection point uh, within the business.
0: And and previous to that, the franchise owners were more siloed, like this is my baby and I don't really worry about the next store down the road. I just, I just take care of my own business.
1: Yeah, I think more siloed to hey this is what i'm i want to do and you know you know there's a there's a very definitive business model here that works and you want to follow it you're buying a franchise to really follow what the success style is um and i think you know you got to build the business you got to you know reach your reach your neighborhood is always our number one challenge are, are the franchisees, are our partners reaching their local neighborhood? We can reach more on a global scale. Are they out in the community? And some do a much better job at that than others. But when COVID hit, it was much more about community, right? So, right. Right. And, and and we picked up tremendous sales from the local community because people were at home. They were focused on what's local to them. And I think we did a good job from the franchise, with the franchisees and they lead in the charge in many ways of reaching out to the local community. Oh, that's great.
0: That's great. Um, if there's if there's one piece of advice you'd give, um, uh, somebody saying, yeah, I'd like to start a business. I'd like to be an entrepreneur. I'd like to um, quit what I'm doing or start something on the side or whatnot. What, what would it be? You've, you've been on both sides of the fence.
1: Yeah. Um, and I think there's really, it, it's great to own your own business honestly, on, on every level, you know, the buck stops with you, right? It's a big undertaking too, right? So when you start any business, you're starting a business from scratch. So there's a lot of work to be done and don't underestimate that amount of work, but it is your business. You're not working for a big corporation. You're not worried about a pension that may or may not exist um, or, or, being laid off because the company took a crazy bet on something um that was out of your control so you know i i i think for me even if i was going to start my own any business i would start with a franchise and i'm not saying just rush bulls franchising but they have like a key to success building a business from scratch is very very difficult in in so many ways um, and I don't know even myself if I would have done that again, because listen, I started this in 04 with a very different business model in certain ways. And it's taken me, you know, 18 years or so to really build it into some much larger company. Um, but it takes a lot of time and effort. I think if I had a franchise in general, I think there's a real, uh, positive to that.
0: No, that's great. So if you can give a shameless plug, we we allow them, and it's kind of like competitive because there's every every guest does a shameless plug. Give us the shameless plug for somebody that's saying, hmm, maybe I'd be interested in a in a franchise. Why would they Why would they take a Why would they go after a Rush Bowl franchise instead of a another franchise? Because
1: there's tons of franchises they could get into. Uh, going back to you know, I was a finance guy. I had no knowledge about food. So what we look to for franchisees or partners, I, I like calling them, is um, business savvy, having a business knowledge, knowledge. There's no hoods, there's no cooking. It's relatively simple build, very low cost relative to this industry. And it's really about you're in, in a fun way, a bartender serving healthy food and a very diverse, healthy menu. We don't upcharge for unique dietary needs. It's all included. and And we really You got to feel good about what you're serving and and have that one-to-one connection with your consumer in a pretty festive uh, location serving health food. I mean, there's really nothing better within the food industry, in my opinion. It's simple Mm -hmm. to operate. That's a pretty good shameless plug. Yeah, you don't have to to be ashamed of that shameless plug. That was
0: pretty. (laughs) Last question, I'll end here. Um, If we went back to, uh, I'll, I'll call it junior high school, seventh or eighth grade, what evidence would there have been then of the person you are today, the, the CEO and the leader you are today, back in seventh or eighth grade? Could we have spotted uh, the the leader in you then? How would we have known?
1: That's a that's a great question, and I don't think. In how I would say is I I I think I was a little different. You know not so different you know i was like i'm dyslexic so that's a challenge um oh you're dyslexic I'm, yeah
0: i'm, I'm list dexic that's i mean i'm even worse yeah. yeah
1: um but i'm great with numbers right so yeah. um so uh, i i think i my perspective was always a little different like even how i solved equations i always would do it and my friends would tell, oh you doing you get the right answer but i would always do it in a backwards fashion Um, even in math yeah so they had
0: they had principles and and theorems and whatnot and you'd figured out a a different way
1: yeah a lot of that's interesting yeah so uh, i i think there's a lot of difficulty as you can um there's a lot of challenges when when you have that disability uh, i would say Mm -hmm. um and overcoming them and trying to you know function well in society it's it's challenges um, so I think that's one of the great things is, and I can say it's a perceived weakness, but I think it gave me a lot more strength of thinking about things differently than what most people would think about things I, in general.
0: Yeah. Um, no, I, a follow on question. Cause I, I've, uh, I wonder at what point in your life did you realize there are advantages as opposed to this is a disability or this is a, this is a, this is a hard thing. At what point did you recognize, oh, there's actually some advantages to it too?
1: Uh, well, certainly language was always extremely difficult for me It's and speaking. And, and certainly my writing was always kind of oddly written. You know, so you went to the store the store, the boy went to, or, or something like that. Math was the great equalizer for me because I was able to solve a lot of different things, equations, whatever, backwards or however I did it. It's hard to explain. But in a very quick manner with the correct answer. So I felt yeah. that mathematically was, uh, it was, you know, simple. But listen, it wasn't a, for me, it wasn't like a major, major disability that people really suffer through. Yeah. Um, I, you know, it was really on the surface. I was mixed dominant. So in sports, I could do left or right, um, oh, wow. which I think. So, um, so in, in basically, I was pretty lucky. And in, in for for a lot of people that have significant issues with, with going through it, so.
0: Yeah, no, it's great. It's great. No, I appreciate the uh, the perspective because I, I, I work with uh, CEOs and founders every single day. And it's amazing how many of them were either, they didn't, a lot of them say they didn't, hadn't invented yet, but had they, they would have been immediately, they would have been called ADHD or ADD or dyslexic dyslexia they had a better handle on but adhd they just they were super bright and nobody knew what to do with them so they'd yeah. say you don't belong in the classroom and they'd they'd toss them out <laughs> you go oh, well, that's not their fault they're really bright and you don't have the curriculum for them but <laughs> and they'd get bored of course because they'd say oh god this is like for third graders and we're in seventh grade well it felt like third graders because they were just really bright and then they'd be disruptive uh, it's, it's funny as a ceo that's super helpful uh and, but yeah, it, it takes a little while to gain the perspective because when the whole world says you're different or you're odd or you don't belong because of fill in the blank, it always feels like a, a detractor or a, or a disability and say, no, it's just you think differently. Right. Which is a big advantage a lot of times. Oh, it's a huge, especially to see the world difference or to solve the solve problems differently than other people.
1: Mm.
0: Yeah. A different perspective is is super helpful. Uh, yeah. Well, Andy, thanks so much for being here. Um, any question I should have asked you that um, that I didn't?
1: No, nothing that pops into mind that would be okay. too, too engaging.
0: Fair enough. Yeah, that's great. Well, thanks again for being here on uh, Genius at Scale and uh, wish you all the best.
1: Well, thank you so much. And always great to see you.